from here in the Holy Land. Welcome to the Nourish Your Biblical Roots podcast. I'm your host, Yael Eckstein, President and CEO of the International Fellowship of Christians and Jews. Each week, we'll explore the Jewish roots of your Christian faith and nourish those roots with inspirational insights and ancient teachings that are so relevant to our lives today. Let's get started. The greatest gift that we can give to our children and grandchildren is a legacy of faith. In Judaism, we refer to this as Lidor Vador, which means from generation to generation. Passing on our faith from one generation to the next has always been a core value in the Jewish tradition, one that has helped preserve the Jewish people for thousands of years. A few years ago, when my father, Rabbi Echiel Eckstein, suddenly passed away, I realized how blessed I was that my father left us a rich legacy of faith. I was inspired to write a book about the teachings and values that I received from my parents and how I am now passing those same teachings on to my very own children. That book is called Generation to Generation, and it's a compilation of the lessons that I learned through the Jewish traditions that I grew up with, and a practical guide for how we can all pass on our faith to the next generation. And now, I'm thrilled to make the contents of my book available to everyone through this podcast. Over the summer, every episode of Nourish Your Biblical Roots podcast will feature the audio version of Generation to Generation. Each week, you'll hear me read a chapter in the book, and in each chapter, we'll explore a Jewish observance, the key value it reinforces, and how to transmit that value to the next generation. I think we can all agree that our children are our future. We are shaping the future of the world through the lessons that we teach our children today. I pray that this series will help you share your faith with all of the children in your life and that it enriches your own walk with God too. It has been said that while previous generations struggled to raise children with little or nothing, our generation's challenge is to raise children who have everything. Chances are that someone in a previous generation of our family once struggled to put food on the table, buy their children good shoes, and pay for education, basics that most of our children take for granted today. Less than a century ago, indoor plumbing was a luxury, clean, running water was not a given, and computers were unheard of. The reality is that the way we live today is more luxurious than how kings lived for thousands of years. Whether we realize it or not, and whether our children know it or not, we live today with extraordinary abundance. And yet, so many of us, both adults and children, feel that we do not have enough. 
This is because of another phenomenon of our times, incessant advertising and consumerism. We are bombarded by ads through all types of media designed to keep us focused on what we don't have and make us want things that we didn't even know we lacked. These ads create the illusion that everyone else has it, so we should too. They promote an attitude of entitlement, which combined with our natural tendency to be jealous of what others have, creates an environment where it is extremely challenging to be satisfied and grateful for what we do have. These feelings of lack, entitlement, and jealousy create a tsunami of negativity that wipes away any joy we might have experienced living with the abundance that we do have. The result is that instead of feeling gratitude for the boundless blessings that God showers upon us every day, most people feel like they never have enough. The irony is that although we live in extraordinarily abundant times, people feel less satisfied than ever. It is surprising that the 2018 World Happiness Report ranked the United States as only 19 on the happiest country list, even though the U.S. has one of the strongest economies in the world. Mind you, Israel, a country that struggles with terrorism, wars, lower working wages, and higher expenses, came in at 13, six notches higher than America. The 18th century Hasidic teacher Abi Nachman of Breslov wrote, Gratitude rejoices with her sister, Joy and is always ready to light a candle and have a party. Gratitude doesn't much like the old cronies of boredom, despair, and taking life for granted. Indeed, gratitude and joy go hand in hand. Or as contemporary author Melody Beattie wrote, gratitude unlocks the fullness of life. It turns what we have into enough and more. As people of faith, we know that gratitude is an especially important value to pass down to our children. It is the foundation of their relationship with God and the key to their happiness. One of my father's teachings that has remained with me throughout my life is that the very essence of being a Jew is, by definition, to be thankful. The word Jew is short for Judah, one of the 12 tribes of Israel and the tribe from which most Jewish people today are descended. When Leah gave birth to Judah, her fourth son, she chose a name that reflected her gratitude to God and named him Yehuda, declaring, This time I will praise Odeh the Lord. This is from Genesis 29, 35. The name Judah comes from the Hebrew word Hoda'ah, which literally means thankfulness. My father taught me that gratitude is an essential part of my identity as a Jew and of my service to God. The first Jewish prayer I was taught as a child was the Ani. The words begin Ani, or I am thankful before you living king for mercifully returning my soul to me for another day. Great is your faithfulness. This prayer is to be said first thing every morning upon awaking. From a very young age, I was taught to start my day with gratitude and gratefulness to God for the gift of life itself. 
My parents reinforced a grateful attitude in other ways as well. I was taught to say please and thank you with an emphasis on the latter. Whenever I received a gift from my grandparents, relatives, or friends, my parents were not the ones to say thank you. Instead, I was instructed to write a thank you note myself. I remember being in second grade at the time and protesting that I did not even know how to spell well enough to write a note. My parents insisted that even a misspelled thank you note, straight from my heart, was more meaningful than a short thank you over the telephone. Soon it became a habit. Whenever I received a gift, I wrote a note. That small act that my parents insisted upon had a huge impact on me. I continued to write notes of gratefulness throughout my teenage years and beyond. I wrote thank you notes for a variety of reasons, not only for gifts. After my father died, I found many thank you notes that I had written to him that I had long forgotten about, but evidently my father never did. They meant so much to him that he had kept them with him for all those years. I was deeply moved by finding those notes, and it occurred to me that if my father cherished my gratitude towards him so much, how much more does God, the Father of us all, appreciate our expressions of thankfulness? While it is hard to find the right words to adequately express our gratitude to God, I have always remembered the lesson from my childhood. An imperfectly written letter straight from the heart is more meaningful than the most eloquent hallmark card. So, too, a prayer of gratitude straight from the heart, no matter how lacking it may be, is accepted by God and is beloved to him. Certainly, God does not need anything from us. Undoubtedly, there is nothing that we could ever give to God that would fully express our gratitude for everything that he has given to us. However, God is not concerned with our physical gifts to him. He loves the sentiments of gratitude behind those gifts. It does not matter how little or how much we have to offer. Rather, it is the recognition of the goodness that God has provided that makes the gifts meaningful. In the Christian Bible, Paul also taught that our heart is the key in bringing God our gifts. For if the willingness is there, the gift is acceptable according to what one has, not according to what one does not have. This is from 2 Corinthians 8.12. In the Jewish faith, the principle of gratitude is intricately woven into the holy day known as Shavuot, one of the three pilgrimage festivals mandated in the Bible. In Leviticus 23, the Bible instructs us to observe the holiday of Shavuot seven weeks after Passover. Shavuot appropriately means weeks, as it marks the conclusion of counting these specific weeks. In Old Greek and Latin, the same festival became known as Pentecost. Pentecost means 50, and like Shavuot, refers to the 50 days between Passover and the following holiday. On this holiday, also called the Festival of Harvest, we are directed to celebrate the Festival of Harvest with the first fruits of the crops you sow in your field. This is from Exodus 23.16. The Hebrew word for first fruits is Bikurim, which gives the holiday its third biblical name, Yom HaBikurim, the day of the first fruits. This is from Numbers 28.26. Bringing to God the first fruits, meaning the best of the harvest, is a tangible expression of our thankfulness and gratitude. Judaism's oral tradition provides a beautiful description of what bringing the first fruits looked like in temple times, when an Israelite saw the first of emergence of one of the seven species of the land—wheat, barley, grapes, figs, 
pomegranates, olives, or dates as designated in Deuteronomy 8.8. He tied a string around it, designating it as his first fruits. On Shavuot, these first fruits were presented to God at the Holy Temple in Jerusalem, or before temple times at the tabernacle. With great pomp and pageantry, the people traveled to Jerusalem with their first fruits in a basket on their shoulders, along with an ox adorned with gilded horns and a crown of olive tree branches to lead the way. Festive music and singing accompanied the joyful procession. When the pilgrims bearing fruit entered the city of Jerusalem, the city's artisans, officers, and governors greeted them, saying, Our people of such and such a place enter in peace. Once at the temple, the first fruits were given to the priests, and the pilgrim recited a prescribed biblical message from Deuteronomy 26, 5-10, remembering the past difficulties that the nation of Israel encountered from the time of the patriarch Jacob until they settled in the Promised Land, a land flowing with milk and honey, as it's called in Deuteronomy 26, 9. The ceremony concluded with giving thanks to God for the land and the fruit of the land and rejoicing in God's goodness. Then you and the Levites and the foreigners residing among you shall rejoice in all the good things the Lord your God has given to you and your household. This is from Deuteronomy 26.11. Since the destruction of the Second Temple in 70 CE, Jews were no longer able to observe this ritual and Shavuot took on a different significance. Today, Shavuot is observed primarily as the day upon which Israel received the Torah at Mount Sinai 3,000 years ago. According to tradition, God gave the Ten Commandments to Israel on the sixth day of the Hebrew month, Sivan, the same day as Shavuot. Accordingly, the focus of Shavuot today is on Bible study, including the widely held custom to stay up all night long studying the Bible. It is true that we can no longer give God our first fruits literally, but through all-encompassing Bible study, we can give God the best we have to offer Him spiritually as a sacrifice of thanksgiving. We give ourselves to God by studying His Word, dedicating our lives to His purposes, and by recognizing that He alone is the source of all blessings. In fact, in several places in the scriptures, people of faith are referred to as first fruits, chosen by God for his holy purposes. We see this in Jeremiah 2.3, James 1.18, and Revelation 14.4. Shavuot and Passover are not only connected by virtue of the seven weeks between them, but the two holidays are also connected spiritually. The lesson of Passover is about our most difficult times and receiving God's help in order to pass through them. Shavuot is about the fruitful times in our lives when everything is going well and remembering that God is the source of all of our blessings. On Passover, we remember that God is with us in our hard times. On Shavuot, we make sure that we do not forget God in our easier, bountiful seasons. When life is difficult, it is natural to call out to God for help. When life gets comfortable, our tendency is to take things for granted. Scripture warns us repeatedly about this vulnerability. In Deuteronomy 8, God warns that when you eat and are satisfied, when you build fine houses and settle down, and when your herds and flocks grow large and your silver and gold increase and all you have is multiplied, then your heart will become proud and you will forget the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. You may say to yourself, my power and the strength of my hands have produced this wealth for me. 
But remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you the ability to produce wealth. Verses 12 to 18. The antidote to taking God's blessing for granted or attributing them to our own abilities is gratitude, to recognize God's gifts and thank him for them. Scripture instructs us when you have eaten and are satisfied, praise the Lord your God for the good land he has given you. This is in Deuteronomy 8.10. Saying thank you to God sounds simple and easy. However, it is something that easily gets lost in the busyness of life. The practice of giving our first and best to God ensures we acknowledge that it all belongs to him and that he is the source of all of our blessings. In a broader sense, giving God our first fruits implies that we give to God's purposes with the best that we have and that we acknowledge his gifts with gratitude, praise, and celebration. As Maimonides, the renowned 12th century rabbi and scholar, wrote, everything that is for the sake of God should be of the best and most beautiful. When one builds a house of prayer, it should be more beautiful than his own dwelling. When one feeds the hungry, should feed him of the best and sweetest of his table. Whenever one designates something of a holy purpose, he should sanctify the finest of his possessions." When we do that, when we give to God in a way that gives him the most glory, we are, in essence, giving God our complete and boundless gratitude for what we have. Moreover, the biblical prescription for offering first fruits teaches us that full gratitude comes with appreciating the context of our blessings. Interestingly, the text that we read upon presenting the first fruits from Deuteronomy begins all the way back with the patriarch Jacob, his struggles, and his descent to Egypt. My father was a wandering Aramean, and he went down into Egypt, it says in 26.5. The narrative continues with the story of the Israelites through their slavery in Egypt to God bringing them out of Egypt to the land of milk and honey. The text concludes, Now I bring the first fruits of the soil that you, Lord, have given me, in 26.10. Scripture goes through the entire story of Israel's difficulties, God's salvation, and God's provision so that we might appreciate the totality of God's blessings that include our past, the present, and his promises for the future. In Hebrew, the word for gratitude is hakarat hatov, which literally means recognizing the good. Thankfulness begins with awareness, awareness of what we have, of what God has done for us, and of what he continues to do for us each and every day. We can have all of the good in the world, but if we are not aware of it, if we do not recognize it, we cannot appreciate it. Shavuot comes just once a year, but its message resonates all year, no matter what season of life we might be in. It begins by recognizing the blessings in our life, just as the ancient Israelites took notice of the first of their fruit beginning to blossom. It continues with the expression of gratitude to God, just as the Israelites did when they presented their fruit in the temple. It concludes with truly enjoying everything that we have been given, just as the first fruit ceremony concluded with singing, feasting, and festivities, as the Apostle Paul taught in the Christian Bible, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus, as it says in 1 Thessalonians 5.18. 
of all the Jewish practices that we can no longer observe because the temple no longer exists, I believe that the absence of the Bikurim ceremony is one of the greatest losses. For thousands of years, as the Jews were banished from Jerusalem and the temple remained demolished, the service was impossible. However, now that God has returned the Jews to Israel, the absence of the Bikurim service is even more glaring. Once again, the Jewish people are building houses and growing the seven species of the land, just as the Bible prophesied. I can literally see the roots where the Israelites must have walked on their way to the temple in Jerusalem, as commanded in the Bible. And I can picture the beautiful procession of bringing the first fruits. I can see it so clearly, and I have great faith that it will happen again soon. However, during the two millennia when Jews lived exclusively in the diaspora, the first fruit ceremony was almost forgotten. Ultimately, Jewish children kept the ritual alive as it became a tradition in many Jewish communities for them to reenact the joyful ceremony on Shavuot. Around the holiday, young children would come home from school with craft projects of beautiful baskets filled with fruit. They learned popular Hebrew children's songs about going to Jerusalem with first fruits on their shoulders. Today, many children in Israel and around the world continue to reenact the long-forgotten ceremony. Our children dress in white, wear paper crowns adorned with flowers, and participate in a Bikurim parade with their artfully made fruit baskets and festive music. It is a taste of what once was and what will be again. Most importantly, the children become familiar with the concept of celebrating and acknowledging God's blessings. Fortunately, Judaism is replete with many traditions that help our children learn to be grateful throughout the year. Most prominently, the saying of blessings plays the biggest role in Judaism for training a grateful heart. In fact, the Jewish tradition is to recite no less than 100 blessings a day. There are blessings for when we wake up, thanking God for another day. There is a blessing for going to the bathroom that thanks God for a functioning body. There are different blessings for different kinds of food and that thank God for the fruit of the tree, the fruit of the ground, or for bringing forth bread from the earth. Morning prayers include gratitude for the ability to see, the ability to walk, and the clothing we wear. Many blessings are built into every day. When my children were small, my husband and I would recite every blessing aloud with our children. Since they learned to say them on their own, today they proudly recite them aloud and we respond with an enthusiastic Amen. My husband and I make it a practice to think each other aloud and often so that we can create a culture of gratitude inside of our home. But of all the blessings and prayers we recite daily, the one that most clearly resembles the message of the Bikurim ceremony is the grace after meals. Based on the biblical directive to praise God when you have eaten and are satisfied, as we see in Deuteronomy 8.10, Jews recite a prayer of thanksgiving after every meal. Many faith communities have the practice of reciting a grace before meals. However, Judaism is unique in the tradition of reciting grace after eating as well. This practice, like the bringing of the first fruits, reminds us to bless God when we are satisfied and no longer hungry. At home and at school, my children recite the grace after meals following every meal. Ultimately, I recognize that the best way to teach my children to be grateful people in a world of entitlement is to model a grateful attitude myself.
I make it a daily habit to practice hakaratatov, to recognize the good in my life and to express genuine gratitude for all of my many blessings. As a family, we take time to enjoy life and acknowledge our gifts. In this way, a family excursion to the beach, a home-cooked meal shared together on Shabbat, or a trip to the mall for new shoes all become experiences of thankfulness. Whether we have a little or a lot, where we put our focus makes the difference between feeling like we have less or feeling like we have been abundantly blessed. It is my prayer that my children will be so filled with feelings of gratitude that they will be like a cup that runs over, that they will simply have no room for negativity or entitlement while their grateful spirits spill onto everyone and everything that they encounter. Thank you for listening to the Nourish Your Biblical Roots podcast. If you like what you have heard, visit me at mybiblicalroots.org for more of my teachings, videos, blogs, and books. You can also follow me on Instagram at yael underscore Eckstein or on Facebook at yael Eckstein. Shalom and see you next week.